Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what is up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are here on episode 219. As we enter 2019, it's a new year. Happy New Year to you. I hope you're having a good year so far. We got big plans for this year, and I hope you had a uh, happy new year and all, and happy holidays and all that jazz. All right. Hey, uh, before we get into today's guest, uh, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by and check out our free training teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. We're going to walk through a step-by-step process, the speaker success roadmap of how exactly you can find speaking engagements. So if you've been kicking around like the idea of being a speaker, maybe you've listened to uh, this one episode or many episodes and you're going, I, 2019 is my year. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this speaking thing a go. Then you definitely want to stop by and check out uh, freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, you can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. It's a free training that we offer every single day teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So whether you're brand new, just getting started, or you've been at it for many years and you're trying to figure out how to build some more structure and systems into your speaking business, then this is for you. Again, check it out over at freespeakerworkshop.com. Okay, so today we're going to be talking with Justin Flom. Now, Justin is uh, it's not, not necessarily a speaker, but he's actually a magician. And so we uh, we actually crossed paths recently. I went to see him perform. He was amazing, a phenomenal, phenomenal performer. And uh, partway through, I you'll hear the story that we uh, we discuss in the uh, in the interview here but it's a different type of performance but also a lot of similarities with what he does compared to what public speakers do and so uh, we talk about that we talk about how he positions himself in the marketplace to appeal to various different audiences we also talk about his preparation and rehearsal process so he uh, was phenomenal at interacting and engaging with an audience and making it look like it was all just done there on the fly. And uh, so we talk about how, what that process looks like for him behind the scenes. And then we also talk about behind the curtain of both the art and business of what he does as a illusionist and magician performer. So now a lot of great stuff here. Even if you're not a magician, it's okay. I think you're going to get a lot out of this as uh, for speakers. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Justin Flom from justinflom.com. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by Justin Flom, who is a bit of a different type of guest than we've had before. So does some speaking, does some performing, but does it through the lens of magic. And so is a uh, phenomenal performer, phenomenal entertainer, and uh, all around great dude. So excited to have uh, Justin joining us today. So welcome to the show, man. Glad you're here. What is up? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Very kind of you. So uh, I recently had the opportunity and privilege to see you here uh, in Nashville, where I'm at. I had several friends that had posted and said that the, there's this guy in town who's legit. Got to go see him. I'm a fan of magic. So I was like, Mrs., we're going. So we went and saw you. It was an amazing performance. And so I know I mentioned this to you, but like halfway through, I was like, this dude looks really familiar. And I feel like I know him <laughs> from somewhere. 
and uh, finally during intermission made the connection that you and I had had randomly done a gig uh, several years ago and mm-hmm. uh, had met briefly backstage and uh, connected the dots there. So, but you were uh, amazing. I remember at the uh, the gig we did, and amazing at the uh, the show in Nashville for sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was one of those wild coincidences where you know, we worked together years ago at uh, an FFA thing. Yeah. Uh, that was a big arena. That was, was a huge convention. Yeah. That was uh, one of my very first giant arena sort of gigs. Gosh, I bet that, I bet that was six years ago or something like that. Yeah. I remember uh, both of us were, were standing backstage talking, just kind of like, how did we end up here? What are we doing? Yeah, this, it's really this, cool. This place is massive. So, yeah, Pretty was, different uh, than the show you saw in Nashville because, so your listeners know, that was a special thing I was doing, which is very different than what I usually do. Only a hundred people each night I did that show, but that way everybody could be real up close to the magic yeah. and everybody gets to partake at some point in the show in a magic effect. Yeah, we got there. It was assigned seating. My wife and I somehow got ended up uh, literally front and center, and so she nice. was immediately nervous about that. But thankfully, you didn't you didn't call her out or either of us up on stage. So it worked out pretty. I well. might have. I, I have a good spidey sense for when they're too nervous to <laughs> that sort of thing. If they look, it could be, be risky if you call on the wrong person. That's right. That's right. So I'm curious, uh, it sounds like you have always had some type of interest in magic. At what point do you go from, all right, this is something that's kind of cool to, I would love to do this as a profession. I would love to do this on a bigger scale. Because I think speakers are in a similar spot of, maybe I've spoken something locally, I've taught a Sunday school class, I've done something at church, and this is fun, but I would love to do more of this. And so what was that kind of evolution for you? You know, I'm pretty lucky because my dad was an amateur magician and so was his older brother and my little brothers and sisters. We were all a very magical family, but we all just did it for fun. But my dad was so unique in the way that he raised us kids. He wanted us to find something we love and build a career out of that. Yeah, That was just kind of the way he raised us from very little kids with a work ethic for just kind of trying to find something that you were good at and see if you can niche a career out of it. So I just found that I was really good at lying (laughs) and and (laughs) the sleight of hand necessary for magic and and all of that. And from about grade school on, it was a pretty, uh, it just zeroed in on focusing, how do I make magic a career, something that's sustainable. And that was, that was everything for it. Uh, So it was finding just a little bit of raw talent and then adding in the hard work and seeing where can this be monetized because it's not an easy thing, but the competition is is less in magic than it is in public speaking or in, or in music. So that was a definite plus. My dad kind of said, look, you can be, you can learn guitar and do the band thing and trying to be a rock star, but your competition there is going to be like millions of people. There's only like, couple thousand magicians. Right. So it's a little bit, you know, mathematically, it's easier to make it big on the magic scene than it would be in the music scene, which but is kind of a cheap way of looking at it. But. <laughs> but at the same time, like the counterpoint would be that in order to make it at the level you have, you have to be extremely, extremely good at the craft yeah. as one part of it. Another part of it is uh, magic can, I mean, sometimes in some circles can have a connotation of being hokey or cheesy. That's right. And it's really easy for it to come across that way. You do it right. extremely well, an extremely engaging type of way. But it's also the type of thing that people are like, I, you know, even for like fans of magic, you're like, it's really cool. I, from an event standpoint, I don't, does it fit? Where does it fit? So how do oh, yeah. you go from... Magic is a very strange thing. So 
similar to if you have a, a speaker who speaks on a very different thing and there's a lot of there's kind of an education or a learning curve to that subject you have to deal with those connotations and and expectations quite a lot so if i'm dealing with somebody who hasn't who hasn't seen my work or isn't coming to me because they want to work with me then they do think that the magic is for children and right. and they think oh well you know maybe you can do some stuff at a cocktail party for us, right. you know, maybe some card tricks or, or whatever. And you go, well, we can do that. But really the kind of magic that I've, I've created, I want to create an experience of astonishment and wonder and, and really talk and unpack about the, the interesting nature of deception and what I do. Yeah. So you saw the show and you see that I never pretend to have like magic powers. That would be ridiculous because in today's society, like maybe in the 1980s, maybe even before then it was people would kind of buy, wow, maybe that guy really is flying across the stage or something. But now we're just too intelligent to take that sort of pretend. But what we do like is suspending our disbelief for an experience, whether that be a movie or a ride at Universal Studios. Right. So if we can bring magic into the new generation, this new era of where we we have all of us have a smartphone in our pockets that can Google any of the magic secrets I do. So there has to be something else that the show and the experience hangs on other than just being fooled by a puzzle. Does that kind of make sense? That yeah. answer is kind of all over the place, but. So what do you feel like is that for you then? Because you're right that you could go, you know, you could look up any of those tricks or you could be like, yeah, I mean, I know that there, I mean, there's always a, like a level of skepticism to it. So what do you bring to the experience, especially like from an event planner standpoint, they're considering yeah. bringing Justin in, Justin in and they're going, yeah, it's good. But like, is that going to work with our crowd? So like, how are you, like, what would you do to pitch that or offer that? Well, a little bit of inside baseball talk, you know, on the corporate and and the booking side of things, the business side of the show business. I had a choice, which was either I could devote all of my time and energy into one particular field of magic. And that's, you know, the corporate or the casino or the college, maybe the cruise ship or the carnival the fair market, all the C's. C's. It's all of those or the church market. (laughs) But with that, you kind of got to put all of your eggs in that one basket. So if you're going to do the college market, you got to go to the NACA association showcases and and all the conventions and and whatever. And you just fully devote yourself to that. And I did that for a, a little bit of time with the cruise ship market. But then I changed my strategy when it comes to doing these events that I get to do because I do travel full time and do a lot of private events outside of just my own ticketed shows. And the strategy changed to if I can just become a name myself outside of these industries, outside of the college industry and outside of the cruise ship industry, then I can play in all of them. I can do all of them because they're coming to me not to find a magician, but they're coming because they want to work with Justin Flom. Right. So that began the strategy of making a brand and a type of show that only I would be recognized for. Right. And that's when Ellen DeGeneres followed and I got to do her show a couple times and I got, went on tour with Florida Georgia Line, the country music group where I hosted their arena tour. It was pretty yeah. amazing. 
And, but all that came from, instead of just branding myself, like I'm a magician and you should hire a magician yeah. for your event, it became, I'm Justin Flom. And this is why Justin Flom is perfect for your event. Yeah. So it, it, then you're not really comparable with your competition. You really, you try to stand on your own and it's still something that I'm developing and, and working on, but that's the strategy behind it at least. So to back up a little bit in terms of how you got to that point, because today you're correct that outside looking in, it seems like you could do any number of those type of C markets and mm-hmm. do a really, really good job. But if you were just starting, I'd never been paid. I'm a decent magician. I'm kind of getting going and I'm going to try to appeal to everybody in the same way that like, let's yeah. take music, for example, you say, what kind of music do you play? I play all types of music. Like that just doesn't work. So right. you do that at this level, but early on, you, you mentioned like you focus for a little while on cruise ships or you focus for a little while on colleges right. or focus for a little while on, on churches to the point where today you can do all of those. But early on, did you find that you had to kind of like, all right, I'm just going to double down on cruise ships for a year or two? Yeah, I think it's important to be clear that the venue doesn't necessarily mean the style. So I'm not trying to appeal to all styles of all people of all ages I definitely do have a very particular brand or niche. I'm not edgy and I'm not childlike. There's this really middle where, you know, I always liked Jay Leno. Like that was my favorite. He was the middle America guy. He wasn't the elitist that David Letterman was. So I kind of try to be that. I want to, I want broad appeal. When you say you got to double down on one of the things If you're starting out, if I was starting out today, I would just try to create the most high quality show because I just think at the end of the day, you can't hide good material. You can't hide good content. It, whether it's online or whether in real life, people pass it around, they talk about it. So if it's not being passed around or talked about, gosh, I I think that's the market telling you "Ah, it's not there yet. Not quite. Right. So if, if you're just starting out, it's zeroing in on, you know, what's the best talk that you give, what's the best style, what fits who you are. And then if you can push your name with that, then you get to hop around those industries a little bit more. Does that kind of make sense? No, absolutely. And that's one of the things we talked a little bit about before we started recording was uh, your best marketing is a great show. And so I remember right after your show, talking with a couple of friends here in the neighborhood and like, hey, we we got to go back and see this guy. Just because like if you had posted a Facebook ad, if you had just like linked to my, here's my website, go check it out. Like that's going to only get you so far, but showing up and just delivering a really, really high caliber product. And I, I think this isn't true with just speakers or magicians, but anything like your favorite restaurant, maybe a hole in the wall place where the advertising sucks, but the food is just so stinking good that you keep going back and you keep telling other people about it because the product right. itself. So it sounds like for you, that the craft, the art, the performance side for you, it's been like, if I can nail that, if I can do really, really good job with that, then almost like the business side kind of takes care of itself. Would that be fair? Yeah, that is fair. I wish there was a, a silver bullet with the advertising or the marketing or the viral video side. And they're just, I just haven't found it yet because I can post a video that goes to 200 million people. And then the very next video go to 4,000. So <laughs> that's insane to me. Right. And that, that to me speaks to content that says that, well, the content of the 200 million hitter is just better than the other one. 
And yeah. even if I disagree, you know, I gosh, I really thought this video was great. The market is telling me otherwise. And I've just not seen an instance where good quality uh, show or speech or whatever isn't rewarded with eyeballs. Yeah. And I think that's really what it is. So just make it the best that it can be. So today, looking at your business, are you like how many shows a year are you doing? How much are you traveling? I know you did the thing here locally for a little while, but I think yeah. something like that wasn't super common, like a, not a, like necessarily like a, an annual thing that you're doing. But then also like what types of all those C's that you mentioned, are those markets where you're like, I kind of do a mix of all of those. Like what, what does business look like? Yeah. Today? These days, it's about 150 events a year. I'm on the road about half the time yeah. and most of them are one nighters. We've gotten off of, you know, I don't do many cruise ships or colleges anymore, but that's just because I think the pricing structure of those, it doesn't allow me to do it. It's, it, it, it takes too much time, especially on cruise ships. It's, it's too difficult. So I've really niched out a, a market that I love of private events and touring shows. So, and then corporate. So, uh, and that would go within the private events. So I work with Walmart and, and Heineken. I'll be doing a Walmart a Christmas thing here next week. And that's on the corporate side. Uh, and then on the more public side where I'm going out and seeing fans and that's my touring show. Yeah. And with that, we'll usually partner with a church because I grew up doing magic in churches. And yeah. I just love that audience. And when I partner with them, I'll come in on a Sunday and hang out with the pastor, maybe even do something on the platform. And then these buildings, these church buildings are just beautiful for yeah. doing a show. And I'll do a, a show Sunday night and I'll do that many, many weekends of the year. And yeah. then the rest of the time is filled with private events. Cool. So like the, the corporate clients that you're working with, so let's say that the Walmart thing you have coming up, some yeah. major corporate clients like that, what are they bringing you in for? What do you feel like is the, I guess, quote unquote, the value proposition that you're delivering? I'm so lucky because I, I built relationships with these corporations where I said, what are you looking for and how can I fill a need? So the very first time I worked with Walmart, I did it for free. I had a relationship through someone and I said, well, let me just come and do one of your I think they were called morning meetings where all of the big managers and employees, they all watch online and they're in the headquarters in Arkansas and Doug McMillan, the CEO talks about maybe what they're working on, you know, what they're taking on for their competition. They're doing this big thing with online. So they're pushing this thing and they bring in, I was there and, and Nick Cannon was there hanging out and Gronkowski. Yeah, yeah. So me, Gronkowski, Nick Cannon, and we're and just we're a normal three group that yeah, you you'd put, you'd normally put together. But you know, Walmart has those connections, so they're always bringing yeah. in cool people to speak for them. And I did it for free; I was just doing it for fun. But because I volunteered my time and gave really good product that morning, really interesting talking and magic and, and this and that, I ended up that day with a book deal with Walmart. And Coca-Cola was in the audience, uh, hanging out there at Walmart. So a year later, I ended up doing an international ad campaign for Coca-Cola. Wow. And then that relationship built and I was able to go and do and host their international shareholders meeting. Yeah. So when Walmart would bring in all of the international employees 
They bring in one representative from every store on earth from Walmart. They put them all in this big room and everybody's got their flag from their country. Yeah. This is a big meeting where they're giving a lot of different content for what they're looking for for the next year. My job was to host that. And then they saw that I was able to kind of work in some points that they're educating their employees about through magic. So then the next year, which was last year, they brought me in to teach managers a new concept that they had with this personal device. And there were some things that Walmart uh, needed and some difficult information, things that the managers might not like, that they really need to kind of, how do we lob this to them in an interesting way? And I did it using magic tricks. Gotcha. So different tricks that I created would, like they have a new locker system that they want their digital devices and their scanners to go into uh, so that they're protected. They don't get stolen, things like that. So I had to come up with magical ways to <laughs> encourage employees to use this locker system. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just kind of a crazy, crazy job, but you slowly prove yourself. And I don't know if that answers the question that, that you were asking, but I think that's an interesting way uh, that a magician can be used by a corporation. So it sounds like you've got kind of two sides of what it is that you do. You've got like just the pure entertainment side to so the night we were there. Right. It's just like, hey, I'm I'm just there to see a show. I didn't come to learn any life principles, so to speak. I'm just there to right. be entertained. And it was it was phenomenal at that. Now, at the same time, though, Walmart may bring you in or some corporation may bring you in to, yes, we want the entertainment value and and a lot of good you know uh, uh, speakers or comedians or entertainers may provide that. There's also some type of message or point or takeaway. Right. Here's the reason. I'm going to use magic as a um, that, that Trojan horse to get in kind of the, the sugar to make exactly. the medicine go down. So do you find that you've got kind of like, hey, here's a like uh, some consistent messages that I deliver or that I speak on, or is it more, I use magic and then I kind of connect with the client and figure out what they're looking for. And I kind of figure out, all right, yeah. I've got X, Y, Z tricks that work well for me being able to now explain this point. Yeah. It, it, it used to be that I had this talk that I would give and it was on business because I built theater in Branson, Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where I started my business of performing magic. And I l- ended up completely tanking it and losing about half a million dollars at the end of five years or so of running this business into the ground. But that experience of business failure taught me everything that I base my life and career off of now. All these rules that I've built for myself, these rules that are, it may seem innocuous, but things like, oh, I'd never pay to showcase ever. If I'm going to perform it's either for free as a favor or I'm being paid. You know, that rule came from this really shady business model in Branson where they, where the company that's showcasing these shows is really making the money and the shows are footing the bill and, yeah. and all of that. Lessons from that experience are very important to, like there was a big tanning salon company that brought me in that wanted me to talk to all of their managers or their owners because uh, it was all franchised. So these were all small business owners, even though it was all under the same umbrella of this tanning salon company. And my lessons in owning a business, running a business and destroying a business <laughs> were very helpful to all of these people who also owned a franchise in this tanning salon company. Yeah. Uh, so that's, but that has become less and less of my job 
And more of my job now has been sitting down with a company and saying, all right, what do you need to say at this convention or at this thing? And they, so I did something for Dollar General and they said, we want to talk about how we can shatter expectations and, and that we can fill that expectations with cash. I was like, that's insane. Let's see. Well, what if we could take some glass and without touching it, we could shatter it just with the power of our, our mind, right? Uh, magic trick. And then what if we could take a different glass thing and fill it with cash instantly? They were like, that would be perfect. So now their CEO is on stage talking about it. And I made his glass pitcher of water explode yeah. and shatter. And then we took a glass briefcase that you could see through and it instantly filled with hundred dollar bills. Well, that was a really cool, memorable way that he was able to speak about. And then the following year, people talked about, oh, yeah, I remember when this thing shattered and this thing filled with cash. And that was to this point or whatever. Right. So that's more of my job now is going, what's your need and how can I take my skill set and push it and help it be memorable? So it sounds like a lot of what you do is very customized to the client and to the audience that you're going to be working with. It's yeah. not like, I mean, I, I assume like, you know, some of the shows is going to be, it's, you know, it's pretty much the set one night to another, but mm-hmm. there's also a decent number that are going to be pretty customized. So I'm curious, like how that fits in logistically. Cause if you're doing, let's say, you know, again, 150 dates a year and a mm-hmm. decent chunk of those are going to be customized to the client. It sounds like that's a lot of work. So making the case of some yeah. people like, and there's speakers that do it both ways. Some that say, hey, I'm, I'm, it's going to be super customized. And some that's like, this is the talk, take it or leave it. How do you find that balance where it's just like, I am customizing it, but I'm not killing myself in the process? Yeah, the secret is it, it, everything feels very customized to the client. But my management and my team and I know that really I've been able to communicate what the client wants with the same dozen effects almost every time. Yeah. It's, now there's rare circumstances like Heineken said, we want to make our uh, brand new marketing CFO or something. I forget who it was, but we want to make our marketing guy magically appear and disappear. Also, he's six foot seven, like 250 pounds, like whatever it was. And I was like, Ooh. so we had to create something that we'd never done before. And yeah. we've never done since just for Heineken which was totally cool. And that was the extra effort. But most times I really can show up with my usual suitcases of what I do yeah. and my skill set, and I can craft it for them almost day of. Yeah. We don't, I don't tell them that, but that really, you know, that's just, I'm very lucky that my skill set has allowed for that. Yeah. And there's a true art to that of it's the first time the audience has seen it, but to you, it's the hundredth time you've performed that. But to them, it feels like right. just came up with this on the spot. Uh, exactly. And the reality, there's, there's much more going on, you know, quote unquote, behind the curtain there. So let's shift gears. I want to talk about the art for a second there. And, and again, even yeah. though, even though the, uh, you know, performing a magic trick is going to be slightly different than telling a story or delivering a punchline or whatever it may be. There's a lot of similarities there. So I'm Absolutely. Curious, especially on the, like the rehearsal preparation side of things, you've got plenty of 
tricks or what do you, what do you call them? Uh, you call them a trick, an illusion? Oh, well, I'm not pretentious enough to care. I mean, we okay, can call right. gags, tricks, bits, any of that is totally cool. So you've got plenty that you know today that work, but there's also something mm-hmm. to learning something new to trying something new. So if you're working on new material, how do you like, how do you bring that into your show? Because it's kind of same for a speaker telling a story. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing it out. I'm fleshing it out. It's an educated guess. I'm yeah, I'm obsessed with material. I love it. And, and speakers with their stories, comedians with, with jokes, I just want a mountain of material. So I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts mm-hmm. of comedians. I love, there's, there's some great podcasts. There's a new one that talks just about one joke and it takes an hour and unpacks. That's so good. What is it? One joke. It's called good one. And it's, they, they take, so they'll, they'll go with, um, the, like a Pete Holmes, uh, yeah. he's, he's a very funny comedian. He'll have this one bit, they play the bit and then he unpacks it and talks about how he wrote it, That's how great. he fixed it and how he changed it. And I'm, I go, I love all of that. Totally. I'm a mechanic when it yeah. comes to storytelling, joke telling and magic. Now I made strategical decisions I, I didn't want to be a comedy magician. Now you saw the show. It's a very funny show. True, absolutely. But yes. I but I never set out to be a funny magician because the expectations then are too great on comedy and and that's just a dangerous place to be for me. Yeah. I, I, I can't have people expecting a number of laughs per minute. But if they go in expecting a magic show, I can be very funny. I can be the funniest magician they've seen. Right. And it just ends up being a bonus. But the development of new material is I just want the biggest mountain of material possible. So if I've got three hours of material right now, like I want to double that in the next couple of years. So it's magic is unique because there's only like a dozen tricks. Like you can make something appear, you can make something teleport, but even that can be segmented down to that's just something appearing and disappearing. You can make something pass through another object, you know, a penetration. Yeah. There's all sorts of different things, but it, it can be narrowed down to just a dozen or so categories. So my job is to find old tricks and revamp them into new stories and, and new props, new devices. So a trick that might have been done 100 years ago with a pocket watch, we will try to do with a cell phone. That's my job. So I have to know about all of these old things and then figure out new ways to do them. That's the first step. And then the second step is how do I take these boring magic tricks and put an interesting presentation to them? And that's maybe most of my job because I have in my house hundreds and hundreds of tricks, you know, gimmicks and and methods and routines and then I've got a library of books full of a thousand more. But most of these are not interesting on the stage. Just like a speaker has great stories and even incredible funny things that have happened, but they're not ready for the stage until you really craft the punchline and, and really where it's going and, and remove the extra details and leave in only what's necessary. So that's kind of the process is finding old things and then finding an interesting presentational hook to to put on it. And I could spend just hours talking about that. 
when do you feel like a, a, a bit is ready for stage? Because it's, it's one thing to be like, oh, I got this idea in the same way that a comedian, let's say a, an observational comedian like a Seinfeld is like, oh, I got this, or a Gaffigan is like, oh, I got this idea for Hot yeah. Pockets, you know? And like, I can think about it and I can even write down some ideas and I can play with it and I can flesh it out. But going from that to, like I assume you've seen the, uh, the, the documentary Comedian. Oh, it's incredible. It's amazing, it's right? We, we reference that frequently on the show of just like, it does, like a speaker doesn't just get up and do the thing and it just like, oh, it just magically worked out. And the same way that right. you don't just get up there, like so much of that is pre-planned and choreographed and practiced and yeah. scripted. So what, what's that evolution like for you before you feel like, so the evolution, okay, this is ready? So I love doing things in living rooms. I'll oftentimes, like when I did Ellen DeGeneres, I first had friends over to my living room and did it for them there. And I, and I had my wife film that. And then that was what we pitched to Ellen. And, and that was the clip. We just showed me doing it in the living room. And the reason I love living rooms is things are oftentimes more funny when you do them just for your relatives or something. So I try to find a good audience of people, uh, whether it be friends or, or family. and tell them a story. So I'm testing out a, a story now about driving my truck across. Like I moved from Nashville back to Las Vegas. So I drove an 18 wheeler across the country and I'm, I don't look like a truck driver. You know, I, I look like a preppy, you know, hipster 30 year old. And I'm in these big burly truck stops. Cause right. you know, that's all. And, and I'm working on this story right now. And I'm, so I'm just telling it to different family members and different friends and, and figuring out where the lines are. But it's a story about just being sore after driving 26 hours. So I stop at a truck stop and I pop in a dollar into one of these massage chairs. And suddenly my whole body is vibrating and shimmying as these big burly guys are walking around giving me the side eye. And it's, uh, it's this weird developing, figuring out where the laughs are and all of that. I say all of that to say, I'll put it on stage actually pretty early in the development process because I've got enough good material that I can hammock it yeah, between, yep, yep. meaning hang it between two weaker weaker spots. And the other thing I'll do is I have a meet and greet or a VIP show before or after my show. Yeah, uh, and that's a great place to test out new material because for me, if I'm doing a meet and greet after the show. These are people who saw the show, they're warmed up, they loved me, so now I can, they're a very soft audience where I right. can test something out for them. Right. So those are, those are the two things, is I'll develop a story or a trick that I'll tell the family members or friends in a living room, and then I really like risking things and just throwing them on stage, because I think an audience loves to see somebody fail. Yeah. And I'll, I always tell the audience, I'll be like, you guys want to see something I've never done before? And I usually tell them inside baseball, I go, magicians will sometimes say, all right, here's something I've never done before. And they're lying to you. I'm not lying right now. This is a, this is a weird bit. And let's, let's see if it works. Yeah. The audience is excited to be a part of that process. I would a thousand percent agree. I think as speakers that you enjoy when something that's not supposed to happen happens in the room. Absolutely. It could be at a, 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 weird, a cell phone goes off. It could be a, a weird sneeze. It could be just something that takes place that creates this raw, real moment that that wasn't scripted. That wasn't supposed to happen. But we all experienced it together. 
and it yeah. creates this really, really unique moment. So uh, it sounds like you're able to, 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 to have some of those and create some of those as well. Yeah. If you were on a date with a woman and she learned that everything that you were saying to her was a line that you read in a book and it was scripted and, and nothing was customized to her unique experience sitting there in front of you, that's not going to end well for you. Right. And she's not going to feel uh, very endeared to you at all. Uh, the audience is the same way. If they just learn, oh, that's the way it happens, you know, every time. That's why comedians and storytellers, you know, they do well to put in those unique moments. Even though you and I know that's it happens that way every time. <laughs> People come up to me and they're like, I do a trick where a woman shoots me in the face with a BB gun. Mm -hmm. And people come up to me and they go, I was at that show where that woman couldn't stop smiling as she was shooting you. Yeah. And I go, oh, but that, and that person <laughs> just doesn't realize that's every time. That's all of them. It, it looks like it's a unique thing that happens, yeah. but that's every moment. And you, you want to take a balance between uh, allowing those moments to, to breathe and happen yeah. uh, and make sure that they're not obvious to the audience because then they'd feel, you know, duped. Right, right. You don't you, you don't want to see behind the curtain all the time of of uh, quote unquote how the sausage is made. So, well, Justin, this has been super helpful. This has been really fascinating. Uh, I'm sure we could go on for much longer, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, if people want to find Absolutely. out more about you and what you're up to, check out some of the uh, the tricks that you've done, some of your more popular videos, some amazing stuff online. Where can people go? Yeah, if you Google Justin Flom, you know YouTube and Facebook is where all the videos tend to live now. The views are all on Facebook. I crossed over one billion views on that platform, which is just incredible. That's wild. YouTube organizes the videos a little bit easier, in my opinion. So, you know, if you want to take a, a some time and waste your day watching magic videos, you know, YouTube and that sort of thing. But it's just Justin Flom, and uh, that's my Instagram and, and Twitter. If you're interested in more personal stuff of life and then get ready because coming up this in new year 2019 there's this new show called world's best and cbs is doing it it's following the super bowl and okay. it's amazing and i will be on that show wow really exciting things happening so cbs right. world's best after the super bowl awesome man very cool very cool we're looking forward to that so justin thanks again for the time man we appreciate it Absolutely. Thank you. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Justin Flom. Again, you can check his stuff out over at justinflom.com. That's a great thing to say. Justinflom.com. Uh, he has uh, millions, millions, I think he has billions of views on his videos. And uh, the guy just is an amazing, amazing performer. So really great stuff from him. Hey, like I mentioned to you at the beginning, if you haven't already, definitely stop by and check out our free training that we are offering every single day, walking you through a step-by-step -step plan of exactly how to find and book paid speaking engagement. So you can do that by going straight to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, you can find that over at freespeakerworkshop.com. And uh, we'd love to connect with you there. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 219. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.